we have uh, been going through the book of Habakkuk, and we have been doing that in the, uh, under the umbrella of this theme and this idea of the fact that we can question God even in the chaos of life. And I would think that our God who created us and knows us would expect that. Don't you think that as his children, when things get tough and difficult, that we would turn back to him and say, why God? Why are you allowing this and that to be going on in my life? And sometimes it just, it just feels like we say, for real God, like this is what you're doing? Or for real God, I've been praying for something for so long and I've just heard crickets, nothing. For real God, that's the way you want to play this thing out? And we see Habakkuk, a prophet called by God, doing just that. That he is questioning God during the chaos of his times. That he is recognizing that there is uh, so much depravity and injustice and immorality among his own people, the people of Judah, the Jewish people, let alone the pagan nations that surround them and threaten them. And so he brings to God these very real and raw questions. Do you ever do that? And, and it's okay, and I think a beautiful part of, of going through this very short book, just these three uh, chapters, but so profound, is that we are reminded, if nothing else, that that is how we can approach God. You know, I mentioned before that, that this book kind of reads like a psalm. If you ever read, read any of the psalms, you see there's a lot of similarities in the way that Habakkuk, just like David in the psalms, approaches God. And there's times of recognizing, yes, God, I recognize that you are eternal, that you are everlasting, and that you are self-existent, and that you are holy. And, and, and then there's those times we say, yes, God, I know all that. I know it in my head. I believe it to be true. But, God, there's some kind of disconnect between what's up here and what's here. And I'm really, I don't know what to do with that. And that's okay. So if nothing else, remember that, church. You can come to your God, your creator, with those hard questions. And you know what? We especially ask, seem to be asking those questions in our day and age and what is going on around us. Like Habakkuk, he asked those questions because there was things going on among his people, the righteous they were called. And we see that in our churches too. I don't think we have to look outside of, of, of Christendom and just look at the mess that maybe our country is in or the, the, the countries around us to start complaining and bringing to God these questions like for real? I think we can do it about ourselves and about believers elsewhere and about how people are, are, are representing our beliefs and our understanding of Christ. And we see so much infighting, as you might call it, and we see all these, these uh, difficulties arising and then people look and they say, well, they're no different from us in the world. And so therefore, I guess... The message they have or the hope they have doesn't really mean anything. See, we represent Christ, and so therefore, we are to be different. And what makes us different is our faith. It's our faith. That's what we're going to talk about today, because that's where we come to in in our study of of Habakkuk. It is about our faith. So I want to read it first. Normally, I'll I'll say a few words and then then read it a bit later, but I want to read it first. It's just a few verses, and this is... Habakkuk chapter 2, it's verses 2 to 5. In our series, For Real God, Questioning God in the Chaos, here's where we land. If you remember, there's this back and forth with Habakkuk and God, and Habakkuk started with a complaint, and God answered him, and then Habakkuk didn't like the answer, and so he brought a second complaint to God. 
about like how can you use the Babylonians, these wicked, depraved people, to do your will. Remember that? And so then at the end of, of the, um, the last section from last week, you remember it ended with Habakkuk saying, okay, God, I've had my say. Now I'm going to sit and wait and wait for you to answer. And then I love it because this passage starts with, and the Lord answered me. Isn't that good? And so he gives him an answer, and God answers him. And here's how it goes. Habakkuk 2, 2 to 5. And so the Lord answered me. And here's what God said. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects all as his own peoples. And that's it for today. And that's our passage. There's a lot packed in there. But you know, do you ever notice, say when you're driving down the turnpike especially, you see billboards. How often do you pay attention to the billboards on the highways? Do you notice them? Or maybe like if you're on the train, you take the train to work every day, they have billboards along the, 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 the train tracks, you know. Or if perhaps you're going into Times Square, I mean, billboards upon billboards, right? And they're all lit up and digital, and you go there at nighttime, and it's like it's day. But you ever just stop and look and see, like, or as you're driving by and you're going the speed limit, 65, right? And you're on the highway, and there's silence there, if you notice that, you know? And you see all the billboards. But what's interesting about them? You know, they're just so big, and the words are usually so huge. Why? Because they are designed to get your attention. They're designed to call your attention to something. And lots of times they're funny. If you've noticed, as a number of years ago, I started to see some Christian organization or group were putting some up. Some of them are pretty hard-hitting, and they give some verses. There's one that says, when you die, you will see God. Did you ever see that one? It's got like this, this heartbeat monitor. I mean, some of them can be kind of hard-hitting. You know, whether you like them or not, they get your attention. See? And some of them are funny and they're advertising whatever, insurance or some company. But the idea is that they're bright colors, they're big words, there's huge signs, and they're right there where you're driving because they know what they're doing. The whole idea is they are to get your attention. I've also heard, you know, and I don't know if this is still true in our digital age, but um, I've also heard that uh, commercials are broadcast at a higher volume than the show you're watching. Do you know that? Do you ever notice you're watching a show and the commercials come on and, and after a couple you're just like, it's kind of loud and you mute it, you turn it down and the show comes on. Well, it's all designed, what? To get your attention, see? It's to get your attention. And so what's interesting is we see the beginning of this passage, God answers Habakkuk and his first thing he says is write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. 
Now, there's a couple of different ways that we can sort of interpret that phrase, so he may run who reads it. Uh, some scholars think it's like, so he wrote it on big uh, tablets, but that they were easy to carry so that a messenger could take it and run and, and tell everybody, tell all the tribes and all the, the towns and villages what God is saying to them through Habakkuk. And others say, well, the nuance here is that write it in such big letters and make it so plain because this message is so important that even if you're running by it, you can't miss it. It's like a billboard. So in, any, in either sense, we see Habakkuk says, the Lord answered me. So let's not miss that. God answers prayers. You believe that? God answers prayers. And so Habakkuk had given this complaint, and he brought his ideas to God and the way that he saw things, and then he set himself up and said, okay, now I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see what God does. And then it says right here, and, and he answered me. And here's what he said. And that's how God started it. His answer to Habakkuk this time, he said, I want you to write this down this time. Now, why do we write things down? To remember it, right? I mean, I often, if you ever come into my office, you'll see all of these brightly colored sticky notes all over. I have a to-do list, but somehow they don't always get from the sticky notes to the to-do list, right? But it's like, you think of something, you don't want to forget it, so you write it down. Or better yet, we have apps on our phone. We have reminders, we have calendars, we have these things that you remind, we set alarms. I mean, before you go to bed at night, you plug in your phone and you set your alarm or something, right? So you know to wake up. We have reminders, see? And so God is saying, write the vision down, but then he says even, make it plain on tablets. So make it so, so everybody can understand it. Make it clear as day, so that even if somebody's running by it, or if somebody's got to pick it up and run with it, it'll be so easy to proclaim it, and people will see it, and people won't miss it. Why would God start that? Why would he start by saying that? Don't you think? I'm, gonna, I'm answering my question is what I'm doing. I asked the question. I'm, I'm ready to answer it already because I got my notes right here. I already answered it. <clears throat> but isn't it because what he's about to say is kind of important? I mean, what he's about to tell Habakkuk and the way he's going to answer him, the vision he's giving him, God is like saying, this is going to be super important. And so I don't want anybody to miss it. I don't want anybody to have any, um, you know, objections to it or excuses. And so I want you to write it down. No, I want you to write it down and make it so plain that if somebody was driving by at 65 miles an hour, or 80, or whatever it is that you do on the turnpike, that you can still see that, that billboard. You can still see it. Because you can see it coming, and you can surely see it when you're passing it. You can't miss it. I mean, sometimes you drive on the, the highways and the roads in New Jersey, you wish they had bigger signs. Because you make the wrong turn. Where's the sign? I didn't see a sign for that. You know, they're doing a lot of construction down here in Allenwood. they got all kinds of signs. I noticed that this morning. All kinds of signs leading up to it, and people are still blowing through. But what are you going to do? You put up the signs, right? So God is giving a sign, and he says, write down this vision. First, I want you to write it so it's never forgotten, right? I remember my mom would always say, I would say, I forgot, Mom. And she would say, it went in one ear and out the other, right? There you go. You forget it. So God says, write it down. Make it so plain on those tablets 
that he may run who reads it. There's that idea. He doesn't want us to miss it. So then what does he say next? Okay, here is what God is saying is so important. He says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. Let's stop there for a second. See, Habakkuk said he was waiting, and God said, you're going to have to wait a little bit more. Did you ever get that answer from God? God, I've been waiting. God kind of says in his own way, good, keep waiting. You know that old thing of hurry up and wait? That's the way we feel, right? Let's hurry up and wait. So he says, still the vision. So God has a vision. Remember, God had told us previously, he says, I have a plan. I've already been working on it. You, You think I'm silent? You think I'm an absentee father? I don't care. He goes, no, I've been working on it. And even if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. So let's go from there. So he says, still the vision awaits its appointed time. So God has a perfect time to reveal his perfect plan. Just like with the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't come a few years earlier or a few years later. The time of the incarnation, that moment in, in our time, right? The way we understand time at that moment, God chose. He said that was the perfect time. And, and his, God's people, Israel, had waited so long, so many centuries for the promised Messiah. And there was a time that God answered that prayer. But you know what, church, as Christians, we are then sort of in between these times of his first advent and his second advent. So really, if you think about it, we are perpetually in a time of waiting. Do you ever think of that? Because Christ came, and he taught, and he taught, and we have his word, and, and he died as he was supposed to, as he was called to do. He rose again on the third day. We just sang all about it. And what did he tell the apostles, what did he tell the disciples? He said, be faithful. Go and make disciples, and you're going to do it under my authority until I return. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so you're not waiting on your own and just kind of wandering aimlessly. You have a plan. You have a purpose. Uh, Jesus said, you're going to continue my mission until I come back. When's that going to be? I don't know. Jesus says even he doesn't know. Only the Father knows. And so we now, for the last 2,000 years, And however long into the future, we are in between and waiting. So our life is really just a series of waiting as Christians, if you think about it. But here's the key, church. How do we wait? What does it look like to wait? We've all waited for things. You wait online, right? The old joke used to be you wait online at the DMV, right? I found, I don't know, it goes pretty quickly for me now. They do a pretty good job. So we've got to change our illustration. Okay. But we all have an idea of what we might get online and wait for. Maybe it's for your morning coffee, you know. Or maybe you're just waiting online uh, at the light because there's way too many people that live in New Jersey. That's what I think, you know. But somehow we're always waiting for something, and God says, with me, in many ways it won't be any different. But how are you going to wait? But look at what God continues to say in verse 3. He says, still that vision awaits. It's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. He says, my plan is perfect. It's going to get there when it's going to get there. It's like when your kids ask you from the back seat, are we there yet? We're going to get there when we get there. And when we get there, you'll know we're there. I mean, what kind of answer is that? That's really not an answer. It's just basically saying, don't ask me that question is what you're saying. So God is saying, it hastens to the end. It will come to pass. And then he continues I love this. Just think about this. 
If it seems slow, wait for it. How about that? That's a good takeaway from today. If it seems slow to you, God answering your prayers, just wait for it. Yeah, but God, I've been waiting all this time. Just wait a little bit more. Well, how long, God? Until it's the right time. When's it the right time? When I say it's the right time, see? But because we're the children and he's our heavenly father. But it's okay that we ask these questions, especially in the chaos of our life. For real, God, waiting more? Yes. My son, my daughter, you're going to wait. Even if it seems slow, wait for it. See, in the waiting, God had promised the, the Messiah, and in his perfect time he came. And Jesus then died and rose again, and therein lies the truth of the gospel. He died and rose again that we would have salvation. And then Jesus said, I have to go back to the Father. The disciple says, well, you just got back. And he says, but I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit so you're not alone. And I will return. When are you going to return? You'll know it when I come back. And so that's us, church, for the last, like I said, 2,000 years and, and, and forward. We are in that time of waiting. That, that's our, our part in God's bigger story from Genesis to Revelation. See, we are the church age. It's called the age of grace where we are in that waiting. But the whole key is how do we wait? As believers in Jesus Christ, how do we wait for him? He says, it will surely come. It will not delay. So if it seems slow, wait for it. But then he gives that reminder, that promise. Don't worry. It will come. And how about this when he says it won't delay? See, it's a beautiful thing. Why? Because God is saying, remember, look at it from my perspective. Remember what he had told Habakkuk, basically telling him he's nearsighted? He's like, you're basing your decision on me from what's going on around you He says, I've already got a plan, and my plans are good for you, a hope and a future, he says elsewhere, right? And so he's saying, it's going to come, it's not going to delay. The moment that it comes is the exact moment I want it to come, is what God's saying. So from our perspective, it looks like it's delayed, like God is delayed, delayed, delayed. But from his perspective, it's the perfect time. So we are... In the waiting. There's that song we've mentioned. We sing it a lot in in, in this series. Yes, I will, right? In the waiting. There's the God who's never late, right? We can count on him because he's never late. This is where that comes from. So in verse 4 then, he kind of turns the attention and he says, behold, his soul. Now let's just understand this in the conversation. God is turning his attention now to the Babylonians, Because God is comparing and contrasting. This is really important, church. He now is contrasting. This is his message to the people that has to be written up on a big billboard, right? He says, the Babylonians, those people, their soul is puffed up. It's not right within him. So he's going to contrast them, the Babylonians that are about to to conquer them and take them into exile. He says, they're all puffed up and conceited and proud, and pious, and self-righteous, and he says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. You know, and that verse is used. That verse is used a lot. We use that a lot, right? You see it everywhere. The righteous shall live by faith. Here's where it comes from. Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. But here's the context, church, that he is contrasting Babylon to Judah, to the people who are supposed to be the righteous. See, and he says, they are proud and puffed up and, 
and pious and conceited. He says, you're not supposed to be like that because the righteous, church, he says, the righteous shall live by faith. And then he goes on to say, you know what, it's even worse for them the Babylonians, because they're given to wine. It's going to be a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. They're so arrogant in their own successes, and Habakkuk's like, yeah, but God, you're allowing them to be successful. He goes, but that's part of my plan for you, but I have a plan for them. They will be judged. And he finally describes them, uh, Babylon. He says, their greed is as wide as Sheol, the place of the dead. Like death, he has never enough. Isn't that so profound? Death, what Jesus conquered, what Jesus conquered by rising from the grave, what Jesus conquered, he says, death never has enough. Just think of our enemy, Satan, right? Never has enough. We know that he is defeated, but there is still death until Christ returns, you see? And so he says, he's using that illustration, like death, Babylon never has enough. He's even describing Babylon like death. Death continues to take and take and take. It seems like death, if we're describing death like a thing, right? Like a person's like, never has enough. And so God is saying that's how they are. Babylon gathers for themselves uh, for themselves all nations, collect them all as the peoples. Yes, that's what's going to happen. But what he's trying to tell Habakkuk is, look, just wait, but be faithful, because the righteous live by faith. They're all conceited and puffed up. They might look like they're successful now. But their conceited pride, their arrogance, just like wine, it will betray them. And God will judge them for what they're doing. So a few other things that I want to point out in our remaining time together. And of course, focusing on verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. What does it look like? to live by faith. Now, I know church, like, we use that word so often, and sometimes the the true meaning of it can get lost because we just say faith, and and we we have an idea of what it means. We have to live by faith, but, yeah, what does that mean? You know, I find myself asking those questions a lot of God, like, okay, so live by faith. Okay, good, but, yes, we know that's the truth, but how do we do that? How do we live by faith? And God says, you're going to wait, but in the waiting, live by faith. So that's really... Our life, that's our calling, is to live by faith. Well, here's, here's something I found interesting. And so this verse, Habakkuk 2.4, especially where it says the righteous shall live by faith, it's used three times in the New Testament. Remember, Habakkuk's in the Old Testament. So this phrase is quoted by a New Testament writer three times in the New Testament. And each time, faith is looked at at a different angle. It's still faith but a different aspect of faith. And I think it will help to, to kind of give us a, a, a picture today. And so I want to look at each three of those briefly, uh, each of those, those three references from the New Testament, all right, about what faith truly means. So the first one is Galatians 3.11. It will be up on the screen for you. Galatians 3.11, what does it say? Now it is evident, so we know the Apostle Paul wrote Galatians. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God By the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. See, he quotes Habakkuk, right? He, of course, knew his Old Testament. So he quotes it. And he says, look, how do we get right before God? This is basically saying, how are we saved? Where does salvation come from? It is not of the law. It is by faith. So faith, 
then is not the law. It's not keeping the law. It's not doing enough good things. It's not that whole list of do's and don'ts. It is opposite of that. And Paul is saying, so it's so evident from all of his teachings and everything that Christ taught, he says no one is ever justified. We've talked about that a lot. Justified meaning set right, like your position before God, who God sees you as, your position before God. He says no one is ever brought right before God by the law. Christ came and did away with the law. He fulfilled the law. So he quotes Habakkuk and he says, the righteous live by faith. So in this reference, faith is talking about saving faith. So first it starts, as believers, it starts with salvation. It starts with hearing the gospel news, the gospel of grace, that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Christ died. He was buried to prove that death. He rose again as God accepts his payment for our sin. The gospel news is that we as sinners are separated from God for all eternity because of sin. Not just the sins we committed, it's our sin nature. See, that separates us from God. Because if we just focus on sins we commit, then aren't we kind of tem- you know, tempted to think, well, if I clean up all those sins and I stop doing those things, then I'll be right before God. No, that is not the gospel message. You see, what Paul is saying here in Galatians, he says, the righteous, meaning those that who believe are then called righteous, they are saved by faith. It says elsewhere in Ephesians, right, that we are saved by grace, because it's all God's doing, not our work. By faith, that's how we receive it. It's faith in Christ and him alone. And so this first use of faith of this, uh, of, uh, of Habakkuk 2.4 The righteous shall live by faith. Paul's using it to describe salvation. So faith plays a significant part in salvation. That we receive that gift of eternal life from God through Jesus Christ and his shed blood and that alone. There is no other way. Friends, there is no other way to be reconnected and reconciled to God apart from the blood of Christ. Jesus says no one comes back to the Father except through me. So the world around us might say, it's okay what you believe, and there's got to be plenty of ways. All roads lead back to God. All roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. But see, that's just not my words. That's not our words. That's the word of God, right? And so that's the absolute truth that we stand on. And so first and foremost, it starts with that offer of salvation. So salvation is through faith. And so that's the first reference that we see in the New Testament uh, to... um, uh, to Habakkuk uh, 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. That's the first one I wanted to point out. Because it is all about salvation, that's where it starts. So then the second one is found in Romans 1.16-17. Right? The second one that I want to point out. Not necessarily in, in uh, order in Scripture. But we start with Galatians 3.11 because salvation is all about faith. That's how we receive salvation is through faith. But then, in Romans, Paul again, he quotes it, but now it's about discipleship. See, now it's about the everyday life. Because if we know if salvation is by faith, what about living? Like, how do we live? Remember, God says to wait. Okay, so if our whole life is basically waiting, we're waiting for his return, we're waiting for him to answer prayers, what do we do in that waiting? We live by faith. 
So salvation is by faith, but living is by faith too. We don't just say, thank you, God, or receive salvation by faith and leave faith there. Faith is to be uh, the means of which that we live every day. That's how we live the Christian life, church. And so it says, Romans 1, 16 to 17, Paul the proudly and he boldly proclaims, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So he's quoting it again. But this time there is that nuance where he says, yes, salvation is by faith and faith alone, but living it out, the way we live our lives is by faith. It says from faith for faith. It's a salvation of faith. It's so that we can be faithful. So there's the second usage of it. So faith has everything to do with salvation, but then living our everyday life under the blood of Christ as saved people, as believers, we have to do it by faith. And then finally, Hebrews 10, 35 to 38. We don't really know who wrote Hebrews. Some say it's, it's Paul. Others have all different kinds of, of um, ideas. But for our context this morning, it doesn't really matter who wrote it. But look at what was written. Hebrews 10, 35 to 38. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. See, the writer of Hebrews is kind of putting some different scriptures together. But can you see that reference to Habakkuk 2? He says, in a little while, there's, some, there's going to be some waiting. The coming one will come and won't delay because God's timing is always perfect. But my, the, but my righteous one shall live by faith. He's quoting that. So what does this have to do with faith? Well, he's saying faith has everything to do with the hope that we have in the future. See, the writer of Hebrews is saying, remain faithful. Why? Because, yes, it's important for living, like Paul says in Romans 1, 16 to 17. But he says it's also important for the hope of the future that we have. Because you know what? Christ is going to return someday. Thank you, brother. He's going to return someday. And how do you want to be found living your life when he returns? Do we want to be a a people who are living by faith? Now the reality of it is, and this would be another sermon, a great great, uh, topic, but Scripture I think is pretty clear, and I've talked about it before, that, that there are what we call heavenly rewards or eternal rewards. There are rewards that believers, Christians, will receive at some point in the future. After the rapture, after returns for the church, there will be a judgment. We might call it the great white throne judgment. There is a judgment, the bema seat, some people call it, where we come before God and as believers we are judged. Now, we are not judged for our eternal security. We have that here and now and our assurance of eternal life with him. I can get another amen for that. Sorry, he was drinking water, so I caught him off guard. So listen, so the judgment of Christians and believers at that moment when he returns for us, It is a judgment on what did we do with our faith. 
Did we live life according to faith? Were we faithful in our waiting? Were we faithful in our waiting for him to return? And so there are scriptures that tell us that in that that judgment of believers, that all of our, our faith works, those things that we did, not to earn salvation, but what we did with our salvation, because that salvation is free in Christ, remember, we receive by faith like a gift. But those those things will pass through that fire, it calls us. And, and if it passes through, then it's accounted as silver, gold, and precious stone, it says. But if we did things that were not godly and not according to his will and we were not faithful, right? As he judges, because he is the judge, he sets the standards, he says what's fair, he reveals it in his word. Those things will not pass through the fire, and those will be counted as like wood, hay, and straw or stubble, which, of course, burn up in a fire. So we still enter into his presence for all of eternity. But somehow there's rewards. There's rewards. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you want to please God, right? No matter what the rewards look like and how many you get, our, our desire, our motivation is because we love him. That's our motivation, why do you do things for the people that you love? Why do you do those nice things? Is it to just get something in return? Or do you do it because you love them? Because you have this deep desire out of that love to do something nice for that person that you love. You don't care if they return that favor. It's not what you're looking for. You see? So the writer of Hebrews is saying, you love God. You've been saved by faith. You're living the life now by faith. But your hope in the future is all about faith also. That faith will sustain you. He says, just endure to the end. Keep doing those good things with your faith. Because there are rewards at the end. However God wants to give you those rewards, whatever it looks like, he says the rewards in the end because the more rewards means God's got more glory. Right? The more we honor him with the things we do, it means he gets all the glory. That should be reward enough for us. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, yes, it's going to take endurance to the end. But there's hope. See, so faith plays a part in our salvation. It plays a part in what we call our sanctification, meaning our everyday life as we grow closer to him. And how we live, it's by faith. But it's also for hope. See, it's for salvation. It's for life. It's for hope. It's our past. It's our present. It's our future. It's all about faith. Because God says, the righteous shall live by faith. And those, those passages I just read, those three passages where, where uh, Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted, it's really talking about enjoying that salvation, that eternal life, that we are saved by faith, we live by faith, and, and faith um, dictates our hope in the future. In contrast to the Babylonians, God is saying, who are self-reliant and they have boastful ways and they are unrighteous. He's saying, Habakkuk, tell your people, don't be like that. Don't envy them because they're going to be successful. How often do we envy people that are successful? Right? We do it as churches too. Man, look at that church with like 10,000 people and, and all of that, you know, and, and God can bless them and do amazing things through them. And that's awesome, but sometimes we get envious and we're just like, man, if only. Or you look at, you know, the proverbial thing, you look at your neighbor and just like, why is his grass perfectly green? And mine is all spots of brown and I did the same thing. God, what's going on? And you get envious. Whatever it is, you look around and you're envious. 
And so he's telling Habakkuk these strong words, don't be envious of the unrighteous. Don't be envious of the unrighteous because God has a plan for them too. And so therefore, where does that leave us? If we're not to do that, you know, Matthew 7, 3 says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye but pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Let's not be envious. But we are to live by faith. We are called to a life of faith, salvation by faith, living by faith, hoping by faith. See, we are living between the times of the promise and the fulfillment. Jesus said, I promise I'm coming back. We're like, when, God? When are you going to fulfill that? We are living in the in-between times of the waiting. That's our reality, church. And that's why it can be hard for us. That's why life can be so hard sometimes. Because we're, we're looking at the news around us. Maybe we're trying too hard to find a sign. God, God I'm tired of waiting. There's got to be something. Jesus got to be coming back tomorrow. Look what's going on around us in our country and, and the world around us. I can't believe it. God, do you see what these politicians are saying? And do you see what these other world leaders are doing? Do you see what these, these Christian leaders are saying and doing? God, come on, really? For real, God? He must be coming soon, so we, we scour the news feeds and we're looking for signs. But what does God say? Wait faithfully. Wait faithfully. Be obedient and wait faithfully. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we wait faithfully? I think a big part of it, church, is yes, we're remaining obedient. We come here and we are worshiping God. And we're starting our week by worshiping God. We do that together. But we also, and part of the waiting faithfully, is to tell others about the faith that we have. Because our faith is not to remain closed just within these four walls or just in your home. We are called to live a faith that shines. And so if God is calling us to wait faithfully between his first advent and his second advent, he says, all right, church, you're in the the age of grace. Salvation is by grace, but you're going to live by faith. And your, your faith is going to inform your hope of the future too, but... I need you to share your faith, church, with other people. Do you realize that that is God's plan? We see that in Scripture over and over in the New Testament, that God's plan for bringing the gospel to the world is us. How does that make you feel? It should make us feel awesome, but it should also spur us on, to spur one another on, right? So that we can go and share our faith, whatever that looks like in your context and how God has wired you and your personality and your temperament, regardless God's going to use you to reach people that maybe I can't or the others around you can't. But the whole idea is let's be faithful in our waiting and sharing our faith. And as you do it, make sure that you are not getting your value of who you are from the world around you or from your own successes or your own failures. Your value is based on who God says you are. And he says that you are now his child considered righteous and holy and perfect before him because the blood of Christ covers you. So therefore, we are to live a life of faith. Don't doubt your importance to God. He, Yes, he desires to answer your prayers. Habakkuk said, he answered me. Here's his answer, see? But in your waiting in faith, realize that's even for your benefit. Just the waiting when God says, if it seems like it's delaying, just wait for it, that's good for you. It might not feel good. But it's good for you because God's got your best in mind. 
So don't doubt how important you are to God or get your value or worth from anything around you. And we're not to be envious of the unrighteous and say, well, I must not mean anything to God because all those people over there are so successful. And look at me. Everything that, that, that I try is failing. What the Word of God says to us is that's not how you value yourself. You value yourself how God sees you. And you are highly valued as sons and daughters of the living God. And so finally, I leave you with a couple of passages. Those billboards were meant to get our attention. The message of the gospel of salvation by grace through faith, that demands our attention. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to get our attention. Then he gave us his word to get our attention. The importance of the life of faith is also then shown to us in these scriptures. But see, then our life of faith is to shine bright for others to see. As we tell our story, we share our testimony of how faith in Christ brought salvation, how it affects our life each day, and how faith in him gives us a hope for the future. So let our faith be so evident that it reads like a billboard. So the next time you pass those big billboards, say, is my life reading like that? Can people just glance through and just meet me once and they'll know something is different? Do people see my faith like they see the big words and pictures on a billboard? So as you wait on him to answer your prayers, trust him. Live that life of faith each day in the small things and the big things so others will see and know. Matthew five fourteen to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that you may, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine, church. In Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. See, that's the salvation part of faith. Because he waited patiently. You see that? This, this is the first three verses of Psalm 40, a great picture of what we're talking about. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. So in faith we waited, in faith salvation was offered. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. There it is, saved to eternal life. But he set my feet on a rock, and he made my steps secure. That's the living the life of faith, the here and now, the every day. That God, through faith, he sets our feet on solid ground. See, he lifted us up out of the pit. He saved us because of faith. We received it by faith. And then every day we live by faith, he sets our feet upon the rock. He makes our steps secure. If we're not sure in taking those steps of faith, Recognize that God sets them secure for us. But then finally, and then what's the whole point of that as we move forward? If we're saved by faith and we're living by faith, how about our hope in the future? Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God so we can speak it out. It's like shining the light. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, there's the whole picture. We're saved by faith. We're living by faith. God sets our feet on a rock, but he does it so that we can have a new song in our mouth and we can shine like lights, not under a bushel, but on a hill, like a city on a hill. And he says, so that many will see and fear and know that he is God. That's why we're supposed to live out our faith, church. So we are saved by faith and called to live by faith and have a hope in a future because of our faith. Amen.